the journey is continuing. It is not remotely close to being done. But if you've been walking with us the last few years, you might have been able to see a, a, a turning, a, a trajectory towards one that is more specific, towards one that is more clear, towards one that is more tangible as we take things one step at a time and bring together a vision and bring together what it looks like and bring together how it impacts and builds us up as a church family. And so today I have the privilege of sharing the next step in this. And as you're hearing a lot of things from today, some of these words and phrases might be new to you in terms of hearing it, but do not fret. This is the first step, so there's going to be a lot uh, of hearing about these things as we go going forward. Uh, we're just even taking the first major step of doing some of these things that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, but what I'm most excited about today, as uh, Pastor Albert uh, re- alluded to, is just that it's going to be such a wonderful journey to be able to pursue Christ together with you as we strive to follow Jesus in community and in ministry. And then as he builds us up, then to send us out locally and globally. There's going to be so many ways in which God is going to be glorified, so many ways in which we are going to be challenged and stretched. There's going to be so many ways in which we're going to be puzzled and we're going to be on our knees, but in so many ways, Christ is going to supply all of our needs and more. So please join me in a word of prayer as we go into this morning's sermon. Father, we thank you so much, God, for this journey that we've been on, Lord, to be at a place where we can sit here. And as we sing the songs that we just sang and offer up to you, Lord, with our hearts and with our lips, those truths about the hope that is in Christ and what he's accomplished, we thank you, Father, that that hope that has been extended to those who are part of your family in Jesus, whose hearts and lives are being formed and changed in the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that our hope is not only in heaven, but that, Lord, in this earthly life, you are preparing us for heaven. So, God, we pray, Lord, that all of you will be brought down this morning as we gather here so that we could see, Lord, and even the small steps that we take in the normal, ordinary days that we live, and maybe the routines, Father, that we keep and the cultural values that sustain us Lord, in all of those ways, Father, in following Jesus together, we can take the next step in faithfulness, independence, concretely towards Christ. Father, we pray, Lord, that this morning that you would unite our hearts and help us, Lord, to have a clearer view, Father, of how every day can count. And Lord, that as part of this church family, every day does count when we invest in the lives of one another in community and ministry. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for the joy that it is to journey with this church family, and we pray that you would be the one that unites our hearts and our minds as we look forward to the future with hope in Christ Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. So in your bulletin, you're going to find a couple of things. One is the bulletin itself, which every time I get a chance to talk about and point to, it's just a very beautiful piece of work that we have. But in there, there's notes that you can use to take on the right side if you choose. And then you'll also find what I hope will become a bookmark for you uh, in here that consists of 
really how you're going to be able to, to wrestle with these things and, and consider these ideas and apply what it means to take the next step in following Jesus. It, it's with ideas that are rested on here. And so today what I wanted to do then is to ground what we're going to talk about today as an application to a passage of scripture that we've actually heard preached here before. In fact, it was about a year ago, almost to the week, that we were receiving the preaching of this passage from Pastor Albert. And we're going to then take this angle. Instead of looking at the disciples, we're going to look at Jesus, the disciple maker. And if you would imagine then that the one who gives the Great Commission, the one who called his disciples to be the fisher of men, the one then that spent three and a half years with them, he would have something to say. He would have demonstrated through his life and through his work and through his ministry and through his teaching what it looks like to be a disciple maker so that when he exhorted and commanded his disciples to go in Matthew 28 or in various forums in all of the Gospels and even in Acts, you see the commissioning, that he knew that they were ready. Now, they weren't perfect, but in his three and a half years of ministry, he had prepared them for what he had prepared for them. And that's what we're going to look at today, because we're going to look at how Jesus equipped and trained and walked with these 12 as the means then of drawing not just insight or knowledge, but the means of being able to see, well, if Jesus did this, how can we do this? And if Jesus did this, how can we do this faithfully as a church family? How can we be faithful in being disciple makers the way that Jesus, the master disciple maker, was? So here's a little bit of a recap of the journey that we've been on. So this is Matthew 28, the Great Commission. So you've been seeing this each week being presented here from the pulpits because we never want to drift too far away from knowing that our church exists to be a vibrant church of disciple makers called to reproduce vibrant churches locally and globally. This was a vision that we have been pursuing for several years now, but the last two years there's been major steps and points of clarity for us as a congregation. In the first half of 2018, in a pastoral retreat, what was brought in to this vision was the phrase of disciple makers. And for me, being a part of that process, that was a life changer. That was like the giant flashlight that all of a sudden both illuminated but also narrowed down a focus of what this vibrant church thing is all about. Because what's vibrant to you may not be vibrant to you. That makes us normal. But when you're talking about a vibrant church of disciple makers, all of a sudden it brings it down to the ground. That we're talking about people and relationships and investment and equipping and intentionality and a product that's not about running programs and maintaining budgets, but it's about how people are growing in maturity as disciples of Jesus. When you see disciple maker, all of a sudden you see the connection to when Paul exhorts Timothy to teach the gospel to the men who will then teach to others as well. The four-generation, intergenerational discipleship that happens there is because disciple-making is the heart of Jesus' ministry. That was such an eye-opener for me. I'm still on that high from last year of being able to experience this clarity in the vision. In the second half of last year, then, we saw these four indicators of loving passionately, living authentically, giving generously, and going courageously as what a vibrant disciple maker would look like in his or her life. 
how he or she will conduct himself. What are the priorities? What are the actions? How he or she will be sent outside of these four walls. This is what a life looks like when a life is pursuing Christ with vibrancy and joy. That was the end of last year. So the question I have then is this. Just like you're preparing for any journey. In fact, looking ahead to this week, my family is preparing for a journey because my son, Thomas, who's in ninth grade, he's going to be traveling to Disney World to play with his orchestra for a couple of performances there. So he's on a journey. We've been packing. We've been getting ready, attending meetings, fundraising. It's been quite a journey. And the bonus of it is that we're going to follow him there. So he can't lose us. You know, we're still, you know, all together, but he probably doesn't want to see us too much. But he can't lose us, okay? But there's been a lot of preparation. But here's the question. When you have a journey, it's always asked, how do you get from point A to point B? So now that we have a more clarity on what a vibrant disciple maker looks like, how do you get from who you are in your seats to point B? It would really help us to have answers to that. Now, these answers are not going to be cookie-cutter answers because we see that in Jesus' ministry, that's not how he trained his disciples either. He didn't speak to them all the same way. He didn't show them all the same things, but he did prepare them for what he had prepared for them when in Mark 1, he said, I will make you fishers of men, follow me, to where at the end of Matthew 28, these men have been made and ready to be sent and commissioned to take the gospel to the world, to baptize people into Christian community and fellowship and family and then to train them and to teach them to observe and obey everything that Jesus has commanded. There was a path from point A when they were just fishing on the side of a lake to point B where they were on top of a mountain waiting for Jesus' instructions and his appearance to them. He commanded them this mandate that then applies to us today. There was a path. There was a journey that Jesus took his disciples on intentionally. It wasn't a go figure it out yourself, 12 people. It was follow me, I'm going to take you some places. I'm going to show you some things. I'm going to engage you in many ways. And I'm going to not only delegate, but I'm going to equip you to do the things that you're going to be doing for the rest of your life until your glorious death and you meet with me in heaven. And that was most of those apostles. Now, every local church then would approach this possibly differently. But then what is the heart of today's message then is a discipleship pathway by which if you are a part of the FCBC Walnut family, that then being a part of this family allows us to pursue and follow Jesus together, taking one step at a time in obedience, in faith, but with each other in community, in ministry. So what does the pathway look like? Next slide, please. A pathway looks like a few things in terms of quality. So a pathway is not just a giant list of things. A pathway is a map through those things that connects the things versus just a display of everything that the church has to offer and that we do. A pathway is a process more than 
a program. Because a program, you can start it and you can end it and you're done. But a process is where the things that you do accumulate in impact and effect over time to which then it makes you into a different person. It is a journey as well, more than a snapshot. Because on a bad day, we don't look so great. On a great day, maybe we look too good. But this is a lifelong journey of following Jesus. So this is a journey of ups and downs where your life is in the hands of the master disciple maker. But then you're walking with others. And then finally, it is practical, not just abstract. You're hearing a lot more of this idea of taking the next step, taking the next step. And while each step may be different for each of you and your households and your marriages and your parenting, but it should be where you're thinking, okay, how can I obey Christ in this way? How can I grow in this way? And it's funny that sometimes we kind of divorce the idea of application and practicality from the Christian life, but then even if you were to give directions from here to somewhere that you don't know, you need the details. It helps to know what the next steps are. When you're parenting, there's all these little things that you're passing on to your children. When you're dealing with your coworkers, there's all of these projects and ideas that you got to work through, all these processes you go through. In the Christian life, it's not that different. In that you might not all do the same things, but there should be where we're always considering the next step. How can we follow Jesus? And for me, the most persuasive part of all of this, of why we should have a discipleship pathway, is not just because it may fit in, you know, nicely with some aspects of culture, or it's because this is actually what Jesus did. Jesus, in three and a half years, set his disciples on a pathway in following him in community and in ministry, so that after that time, they were ready to receive his great commission for them. I mean, we're going through the Gospel of Mark, and still remember in Mark 10, 45, what was Jesus' mission? He came to give us a life as a ransom for many, right? So if a pathway, if a journey was not important, then when Jesus called the 12, it would have been like his entourage in a way, he could have just walked right into Jerusalem. We could have skipped 10 chapters in the Gospel of Mark. If he was just living out his mission to die as the perfect Lamb of God for the sins of the world, then he could have marched right into Jerusalem. And actually at that time, he would have been killed even faster. There would be no supporters. Who is this guy? He's just causing trouble. But see, that three and a half year gap with the disciples points us to the intentionality of the Son of God to walk with these 12 men for that time. Why? Well, it's because he was building them up and equipping them and discipling them to be the disciple makers that he will call them to be. See, our trust in the sovereignty of God and his perfect plan and will and timing is what allows us to see and appreciate this. And so today's message is going to be from Mark chapter 3, 13 to 15. And it's in these short three verses that we're going to see a trajectory that is set forth by Jesus that then will be traced throughout the Gospel of Mark and many of the stories that now are familiar to us as we've been preaching through it as we now come to the end of the book and we're seeing Jesus' crucifixion. We're able to go back 
and see how Jesus prepared them even more meaningfully. So let me go ahead and read this for us. This is from the ESV. The passage is on the screen as well. Mark chapter 3. And he went up on a mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. What is the first step? You see this in verse 13, is that Jesus called the 12. That's the first step. Now, it can go two ways in terms of how you might understand what it means to be called by Jesus. It could be where Jesus called 12 people, and then those became his, and then they followed him. It's very personal, very direct. Or it could be where he had a bunch of disciples, and from those disciples, he called 12. Well, it seems like the connection, especially to verse 14, is that those that he called were equivalent to the 12 that he appointed. So at least in the Mark instance, it looks like Jesus called these 12, and it was them, rather than a big group of people, and then he called out 12. Now, this calling is very specific in terms of how it's worded. It's because he wasn't just calling them broadly, like you're making an announcement, you know, looking for a lost child in a supermarket. The idea was he called them, these 12, to himself. So there was this calling of these 12 people from his will, from his desire, from his intent to come to him in a relational capacity. This wasn't a bunch of apostles that received some kind of email and they responded This was Jesus targeting those 12, come to me. Those 12 came to himself, and they followed Jesus. You know, this is slightly different than how rabbis of that time called disciples, because here's the thing, they didn't. Back in that time, rabbis had certain levels of fame and certain levels of strengths, things that they were known for, different schools they were part of. And it was the disciples that decided, hey, should I follow this guy or should I follow that guy? So a lot of times when you see in the Gospels kind of this moving around of disciples, whether from John the Baptist to different people, it's because that's what disciples did. They sought out the rabbi, and then they followed him. In this instance, in particular with the 12, Jesus called these 12 and said, you come to me. We're reminded of Jesus' beginning in his ministry, calling the fishermen by the sea in chapter 1. What did he call them to do? Well, you see in verses 14 and 15, he's proclaiming the gospel of God, and then he says, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So this idea of calling is very crucial, even for us today, more than just people that followed Jesus 2,000 years ago, those 12, but it's applicable to us today. In fact, if you look at how the gospel fleshes itself out, even as the church was first being formed, I want to take us to Acts chapter 2. There was a sense of calling that people needed to respond to before they began to follow Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, this was the Holy Spirit coming on Pentecost. 
right? In fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen, and starting in verses 22, we find this. And this is wrapped around then the sermon that Peter is giving to preach the gospel to this gathering of Jewish people who are there for the Passover and Pentecost. In verse 22, Peter said this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jumping down to verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And let's end with verse 36. That all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Currently, we're going through so much of this in our baptism and membership cohort. In fact, this class consisting of about 25 candidates, not, not final yet in terms of their process, but about 25 candidates, we've been going through what it means to follow Jesus, why belong to a church, what does it mean to be a member, various doctrinal things. But you know what session number one was all about? Session number one was about this. What is the gospel? You see, if you're following Jesus, but you have not trusted in Jesus, you're not following him. You're a groupie in a group of people that are mesmerized by him. The heart of our faith, the first step that we're called to take is one that the disciples took of repenting and believing and following Jesus. Let's go on in chapter 4 of Acts. Peter continues, and this is another sermon as he's speaking about Jesus. Starting in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. See, in between the message in chapter 2, they were in the temple and they were preaching and they healed a crippled beggar and the religious leaders were up in arms about that. And so Peter preached and Peter talked about Jesus and that there is no other way of knowing God, no other way to be saved, no other way to be a disciple of Jesus, than to believe that he is 
the only way to God and the only way to heaven. When you look at this discipleship pathway, we want to make that abundantly clear as well. That the first step is not to become busy with community and gatherings and ministries. Although many of those things are very good, we encourage and invite you to be a part of what our church is doing. We want to know you. We want to spend time with you. In our community groups, in our corporate gatherings, we would love to see you there. Nor is it to become so busy in ministry where your schedule is completely inundated and you're signed up for a variety of things. But see, without that first step of following Jesus, you're missing the most important step. See, we're talking about a pathway of pursuing Jesus together. So that first step does begin with you personally to understand that you're a sinner. To understand that you're probably a better sinner than many other people, but a sinner nonetheless. To understand that God is holy and righteous, perfect and pure. To know that there's no way we can save ourselves regardless of our upbringing, our education, our station, or our standing in life. To recognize that we all deserve righteous judgment by a perfect God and that his wrath and anger on sinners is fitting and appropriate because that is how great he is. But that in Christ, in his perfect sacrifice and death for sinners. And we heard about this in last week's sermon by Pastor Hanley, how a criminal was chosen for Jesus, that he was beaten, that he was scourged, that in so many ways, he did not deserve what happened to him on the cross. But yet a perfect sacrifice was, was needed to please a perfect God, but yet a perfectly loving God would send his perfect son to do that exact deed for sinners. And so the first step for everyone here, before we even talk about how meaningful a discipleship pathway is, is that you need to follow Christ and surrender to him. And there's people in this room that I'm thinking have not done that. And I hope that we can be of help to you. You know, please nudge the person next to you at the end of service and go, hey, tell me about Jesus. Tell me about how I can know God. Tell me how I can be saved. Please tell me what this whole sin is all about. I know you're not here to judge me, but I just want to know. I really want to know. That's the first step. And that's the most important step. It begins there. That you repent and follow Jesus. Well, Jesus called people to himself. And the way by which we go to Jesus is we respond to his call. And he's working in our midst even right here, I'm sure. Let's keep going as we see how Jesus then had two purposes for calling these first disciples that will be helpful for us to see. Starting in verse 14. The first half. And he appointed 12. He called them specifically, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be 
with him. You kind of have this idea already because it was so particular that he called and chose these 12. That it wasn't just he needed friends or that Jesus needed a posse or that Jesus needed protection. He wasn't after mercenaries or groupies. Jesus called these 12 people because simply he wanted them to be with him. He wanted them to walk with him. He wanted their company. He wanted a relationship that he could build with him that he doesn't need. But yet, as we see step by step, really, the disciples need this. He wanted to live life together with these 12 men for three and a half years. He didn't have to do this. He didn't need this, but he chose this. As we've seen from the Gospel of Mark in this past year and a half, here are some of the things that these men must have seen and experienced as they simply were in the company of Jesus. This is not anything that they did for Jesus. This is simply what they saw from Jesus. You know, shortly after this, Jesus started speaking in parables in chapter 4. And the parables were meant to be those kind of a filtering of teaching so that those that have hard hearts, they're not going to get it, but those that have soft hearts and are open and the Holy Spirit is working in, they'll receive kingdom truth, okay? Jesus made that clear himself in his own words. But you know what was beautiful was that he would start telling parables and the disciples were like, I don't get it. And then Jesus would pull them to the side and he would say, oh, here's what I meant. He started explaining these deep truths to them from his teaching. See, they had to be part of a 12 to get that teaching. But see, that's why it was so important for them to be with him. You know, shortly after this, even in chapters 4 and 5, what do you see immediately? Jesus calms storms. He has power over nature. Jesus casted out demons. Jesus has power over pigs. Jesus heals the sick. Jesus resurrects the dead. The disciples did nothing but just to be there, to see who Jesus was. He wanted them with him. You go a little further to chapter 10, and James and John, you know, they, they bring up a legitimate question, right? Jesus, you're the Messiah, so, you know, we want to sit at your left hand and your right hand and a place of prominence and power and prestige because you're going to rule and you're going to reign. Why not? We're going to ask because we have not, because we ask not. Well, what does Jesus do? He pulls them aside and he counsels them and he shepherds them and he talks to them, and he cares for them. This is because they were with him, not because they had something to contribute. That's what Christian community is. is simply this desire and this intent to walk with other Christians and to build relationships and to encourage one another, and to counsel each other from the word and from wisdom. That's all community is. But see, community comes in a place of commitment, too, because in three and a half years, those men stayed together. They followed Jesus through ups and down, even through their shortcomings and failures. 
even through their short-sightedness and inability to pray for an hour, they followed Jesus wherever he went. See, that's the heart of community, is commitment to people and commitment to relationship. You know, part of what we talked about, you know, this morning, particularly in membership class, was the church covenant and how that flushes out in so many ways what is the culture and the commitments that bind us to one another if we're in a church family. And you know what? That doesn't happen in a vacuum. See, if the first step in community is that you come and worship with God's people, I look out in this room, many of you guys are part of the FCBC Walnut Church family. So you're here. You've taken the first step to worship together, to represent ourselves as one, to prioritize our Sunday mornings. Praise God for that. But my question here is this. Are there specific people in your life, in this church family, with which, from that community, that you're able to, one, evangelize, reach out to non-Christians with the gospel, and two, to go deep in your walk with God, especially as you wrestle with sin and relationship conflicts and all kinds of challenges in faith going through the culture that we're going through. So both an open community group where you're interacting and building relationship with non-Christians or possibly a closed small group most of the time in a single gender fashion where you're going deep, where there's commitment and regularity and consistency and walking with others so that it's not like you're making new friends every time, but that these are the people that you would text at 2 a.m. in the morning when your marriage is in trouble. Do those people exist in this church family for you if you are part of the FCBC Walnut Church family? Because coming to Sunday, that's a good first step. So we're all there. If you're here right now, you know, pat yourself on the back, but, you know, not too hard, but you're here, first step, right? But then if you're talking about living life with people the way that Jesus lived with his disciples, both the calling to evangelize in the Great Commission and the calling to discipleship, you need people with whom you're committed in those ways with. Those are the steps that starting with the members of this church family, as we grow, we want to point you guys towards that. We want to strengthen you and equip you in that. And we want to remind you that coming on Sundays is the first step. It's not like the, the cherry on top so that you've done your Christian duty. But if you want to follow Jesus, these relationships are not optional. These relationships are essential to growing. How do you bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life except that there's people that challenge you in all those ways to which it just is having a hard time happening. But then you go on your knees and you pray and you turn to others in your life that are walking with you. And you seek counsel and you seek help and you seek wisdom from the Word, from their lives. And this is something that you could depend on. And then being a disciple maker then is this is where you're investing in this way in the lives of people. Instead of just kind of having our tunnel vision of this is my life, this is my schedule. I book my church in right here, right here, right here, right here. But it's not focused on people. You know, sometimes seeing what Jesus did is uh, probably more 
difficult than we can imagine. I mean, it's one thing to kind of have a relationship with 12 people, but have them live with you for like three and a half years? That's hard. But I think that's what it takes if the idea is life to life, that there needs to be that depth in those specific people, in those particular groups that you're committed to, where these relationships can build and flourish, where in your relational commitments, you are intentionally bringing non-Christians in to, to hear and to witness the gospel lived out and to build relationships with God's people, and then you're going deep in discipleship with others who are going the same direction. There's a lot of ways in which we do this in our church. If you're talking about community groups, even something like Sunday school is a community group in the discipleship pathway because it is open. Anyone can come. And we're learning about a variety of things to follow Jesus. Your fellowship groups on Fridays, your community groups during the midweek, if they're open, this is a step to reach non-Christians. Jump in there if you have nothing that fits and that you're committed to right now. For those of you guys that are in community groups already and that are in a lot of these open gatherings, or at least in one, maybe you want to consider pursuing a couple of guys. If you're a guy, pursuing a couple of girls and say, hey, I need someone to pray with. I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with that. Maybe we could read a book together. Maybe we could just commit to each other for a season. See, a closed group is much more organic, but it's based on commitment and that's how you'll grow. So either of these steps, what is your next step? Let's go on, second half of verse 14 of Mark chapter 3. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. You know, just earlier it talks about how these disciples are also the apostles. It comes from the same root word of Jesus wanted to send people out. Jesus wanted to have these messengers, these people that represented him. And that's who these 12 were to him. And so interestingly enough, when it speaks about how Jesus wants to send people out to preach and to cast out demons, guess what? Jesus is calling people to train and to make into his minimis. This is what Jesus did, isn't it? He preached the gospel and he casted out demons with the authority from God. For these disciples, it was a call to serve, but it was a call to serve as Jesus did in the power that Jesus had. That's ministry. See, a lot of times we're so connected relationally in our communities and our groups and our small groups and our fellowships that we forget that all of this is supposed to build us up, not just so that we would have friends, but that we're called to pursue the same mission and the same people that Jesus did so that they might be sent out. Just like Jesus showed these disciples a lot of things, Here's what you find as the Gospel of Mark continues. In chapter 4, Jesus asked the disciples to, to stay with him, and the disciples then helped Jesus to leave the crowd so that they could get on the boat before the storm that then Jesus calmed. They helped Jesus. In chapter 6 and in chapter 8, during the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, 
It was the disciples that were asked to distribute the food. And then it was the disciples for an object lesson got to receive back all of these baskets of leftovers. But it was the disciples that were serving under the commands of Jesus, but all by his power. You find in chapter 11, prior to the triumphal entry, that it was two disciples that were sent by Jesus to retrieve a cult that had been prepared. And then even more recently, right before Passover in chapter 14, you find that Jesus has sent his disciples into the city, talk to a man with a jar of water so that they could secure the upper room that then the disciples faithfully prepared in time for the Passover, which was the Last Supper that day. You see, it wasn't just coming alongside Jesus and watching and be a standby, but it was coming alongside Jesus. And then when Jesus says, hey, do this, yes, do that, yes. How is this going to happen? I don't know. How are we going to feed 5,000 people? Just trust me and just do that. And then the food just keeps coming out. That's ministry. Not trusting in your own strength or power or abilities, but simply saying yes to God to be the extension of what he is doing and what he is wanting to do in and through. And it's through these little incidents, one at a time, that when you tie together into a journey and process, you can see how the disciples were being prepared to be disciple makers. See, Jesus didn't give them the most difficult things right away. He prepared them and he equipped them. So in this discipleship pathway, on the ministry strand, what we have are steps as well. Is if you're following Jesus, the Holy Spirit has given you gifts to build up the church, to bless people. Use them. Get on a team somewhere. Our ministry fair two weeks ago was to point and highlight to that, but that's just the beginning. It's not the end. Now we're going to work on the details that we need to do to continue to connect you guys and assimilate you guys to where you are in ministry, because maybe not everyone is. But if you're in ministry, go deep. Go deep and grow in how you serve, in what you do. Don't settle for a statics quo. Don't settle for a line item on your calendar. Go deep, because that's how God will grow you. Now, for some of you guys, maybe then the next step would be to lead a team, to be a mentor to a group of people, to recognize that being a leader is not just delegating. It includes that, but it's about building up people because we're making disciple makers. So for some of you guys that have been serving in ministry for a while, maybe God is calling you to step into a season in which you can grow to be a leader. You can grow to be a mentor and you can invest in team members. And then the last step is for many of you as we build on the faithfulness that God has established here through a founding generation of this church, that there might be some of you guys that have done everything and you've created everything that we're standing on today. We're so grateful for that. But maybe for some of you guys, the next step is how you can be a coach or a trainer and that you can make disciple makers and team leaders to just spread all this out because we need that. So it's not just you doing everything. That could be your step. 
But see, where we find is this, in this ministry strand, in this community strand, is that no matter how long we've been at this church, that there's always steps that we can take if the object of our faith is Christ and that he is working in us and that he is growing us and that we are committed to this church family to walk with. So what is your next step? We're just starting here. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this time that we have. Just to be reminded, Lord, of how Jesus made disciples. And we thank you, Lord, for both the simplicity, but also the seriousness by which he approached these 12 men, that he drew near to him, that he called to commit to community, and that he trusted to serve in ministry. Father, please help us here at FCBC Walnut as we strive to follow Jesus faithfully together. Lord, that first and foremost, Lord, that you would call people, Lord, who have not trusted in Jesus, Lord, to follow your son who died on a cross for sinners, who through him alone, people are able to receive the forgiveness of sins and a place in your household forever. But then we pray, Lord, for those who have been coming to our church, and maybe they're just wondering, is this the church for me? We pray, Lord, that if you call them, God, and this is where they can grow, and this is where they can plug in, and where they can go deep, Lord, that you would call them to take the next step and commit to our church and join our church, and maybe leading up to that as profession of faith, get baptized in our midst. Father, we pray, Lord, for those that have been serving and those that have been in community in a variety of ways that have been faithful. God, that you would challenge each and every one of us, Lord, to consider the next step. Father, because we don't want a complacent Christian life. We don't want a lukewarm spirituality. We don't want a comfortable, boxed-in, calendared religion. Help us to seek Jesus above all things. And Lord, may this be a clearing cry for us to follow and to take that next step. And Father, we just want to put all this in your hands. God, may we be faithful in investing and in shepherding and equipping and growing the FCBC Walnut Church family so that we could be sent out locally and globally to share the gospel, to impact others, and to make disciples. Give us wisdom, Lord. We're just starting. We need your help. Thank you for allowing us to walk with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.